the second you're earning income, your focus should be on buying a house. And I don't know why it's become like that over the years. It's just super unfounded and it's unnecessary and we put in a lot of pressure on young Australians. So let's dig into your billion dollar plan. Like from zero to a billion in seven years, commercial and industrial vacancy rates in Australia are the lowest in the world. A good account will tell you, oh, it's negatively geared, it's going to save you on tax, which is really just a whole other problem with our um, financial advisory. Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to say it, but you've said it. So the impacts of not getting quality sleep over, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, it's devastating on the body. A $120,000 position in 2019 is now a $200,000 position. We just haven't got enough employment or workforce in Australia at the moment. I'm emotional right now. You know I'm emotional. I was just about to say. I was just about to say before you switch this mic off. Quick one before we jump into this podcast. Do me a solid favor. Hit that like button. Hit subscribe and drop a comment below this video. If you're looking to remove images, videos, search results, or fake accounts online, go to contentremoval.com. But don't take my word for it. Here's Mosey. Frank, you're a fucking legend. I just saw this. Layla also thinks you're a legend, which in my mind means you're. <laughs> which also which means you're a double legend in my mind if you get my wife to think you're a legend then you're you're extra cool in my mind dude thank you so much genuinely that was um such a pain ladies and gentlemen we are back this week with a guest that drops some wisdom on your ears and i wanted to give you guys an opportunity to dive in deeper on this residential um, versus commercial real estate and get more of the the mindset uh, and goals and, and just abilities that this man has from a psychological point of view as well. So I've brought Oscar back on the podcast. Oscar Ledlin, welcome back, my man. Frankie Lee, thank you for having me, Rella. Mate, it's an absolute pleasure to have you in my humble St. Kilda home for the weekend. And what an abode it is. Look at this place. Mate, mate, you spare no expense, do you? Mate, I just... Uh, you know me, mate. I don't like to leave you uh, wanting. You're spoiling us. <laughs> mate, I think the best place um, for this one to start is obviously we, 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 we went in deep last time into your journey and stuff. And if you guys want to go back and listen to Oscar's journey, that's on, that's on the other podcast. But, but the reason I wanted to get you back this time was I want to break down for the audience the, the true difference between uh, commercial and residential and from and and really dive into how that's how that's all structured and how you've come to that because some of the comments were like obviously a lot of the comments on TikTok and some of the comments on Instagram at the time were people not truly understanding mm. and the reason I thought they weren't understanding at the time was cuz I didn't think they understood what was a true asset and what's not a true asset Do you know what I'm saying yeah. so I, was, I wanted you to talk more into into like you know the 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 offset of residential versus commercial and how that plays out for you and how why you came to that decision i think the first place to start is removing a principal place of residence from this consideration that we're about to talk about now i mean owning your own home that can and or might not be the right move for you for a whole different uh, plethora of reasons, you know, and I've talked about this um, with you, you know, off the mic before about if I'm moving out of home at 25 years old and I buy, you know, I buy an apartment um, because everybody says, you know, save, as soon as you've saved a deposit, make sure you go and buy a house. So I buy an apartment. It's the first thing I do. I move in and 12 months later, um, you know, I end up in a relationship and so I have a partner move in with me and now the apartment's feeling a little bit tight but, you know, we make do and then six months later I've um, 
grown a business, so I've got a lot more money and I'm, you know, wanting nicer things in my life, but I'm bound by this house because I bought it 18 months earlier and the cost of buying and selling houses is just very inefficient. Um, then we get a dog, you know, and we want a backyard, but we're stuck in this apartment or, you know, we want to travel and, and I think home ownership from a principal place of residence, especially for young people, I think that's detrimental for a whole lot of reasons or it can be very detrimental and I like to talk just to the fact that you know you don't have to buy a home before you're 30 you know you don't have to buy a home before you you don't have to ever have to buy a home but in Australia I think it's so ingrained in us that you finish school you get into the workforce or uni or whatever you're doing but the second you're earning income your focus should be on buying a house and I don't know why it's become like that over the years and I just think it's it's just super unfounded and it's unnecessary and we put in a lot of pressure on young people, young Australians um, for no real reason. Well, I, c- I can speak to this from a UK perspective because like the, the UK is exactly the same. Mm. So that, so in the UK, you know, when you're brought up, you want to, they, they want you to buy a house, get get the job and do all that. And the reason I think why we why we spoke why we've spoken so much at length off the podcast about this this particular topic and why we've why we're bringing this topic up on the podcast is because like to a to a lot of lot of people it it actually it actually harms a lot of people doing this because it it actually ties you to this thing that you have to pay for that potentially um, stops you from being able to travel and broaden your horizons stops you from being able to pivot. And take it, risks. Take risks on that econ brand, and there's a whole lot of problems. Now, I speak to this guys on the on, from the point of view as I have a property I bought at like 19, 18, 19 years old that I paid off when I was thirty, and there's t- there's two ways that me and you have spoken about this, Oscar, and the way I've looked at it is like on one hand you could say I've always got this thing over here that's bought and paid for as a fallback position which is the way I look at it now but there is a cost of opportunity to that isn't there is the cost of opportunity was like how much time I put in to pay the thing off right which we spoke about at length mm. haven't we and and it's like I didn't want I wanted you guys to really understand the full spectrum in this of what Oscar's going to go into because I I kind of think from from my perspective, like it's been a positive, but it's also been a negative. Absolutely. And I mean, there's there's good and bad in everything. And I've got no problems with owning a home or owning the home you live in. Like there's, there's two things I don't have a problem with. And one of them is residential investment. And the other one is owning a home as a principal place of residence. I've got no issues with that. But I think that owning your own home isn't the be all and end all for everybody and we need to remove the stigma of like finish school buy a house don't fucking travel don't start a business don't go overseas and look for work just find settle down find a house buy it move into it get the you know first homeowner's grant and um set up your principal place of residence and try and pay that thing off i just think you know, we can remove that. I think slowly we're breaking down those barriers. If you speak to young people and, you know, the data trends are showing this, that um, less and less young people are hyper-focused on home ownership. So I think we're slowly getting there. But then the second thing is residential versus commercial property from an investment point of view. And, you know, I won't hang shit on buying your principal place of residence because there's so many reasons that it can be right for the right people. So I won't, you know, talk bad about that. But... When you weigh up residential versus 
say industrial uh, property investment over the last 10 years, like I'll take on anyone in the performance of industrial over residential in every aspect of financial performance from an investment. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm hugely confident about this space. And, you know, when I first started talking about it, it was sort of six, seven years ago, maybe even eight years ago, and I was less confident and I was sort of like, you know, commercial property is not as widely spoken, spoken about. We should start having a look into that. But I wasn't jamming it down people's throats. But now if somebody wants to have the conversation with me, I will wipe the floor with any residential investment specialist when we compare the last 10 years of you know residential versus commercial property performance. I think you could go even further further than that. I mean, so the, so the residential from, from my point of view, just so that I just want the audience to be clear on this, the, the reason why I think you've said you're not having a go is at the principal residence, right? Just, I just, just, just want to understand this from my point of view is the fact of like, you're saying that because you understand that some families, that's their stability net. Do you know what I mean? So that's, that's the perspective you're coming at it from. It's their stability. Um, it, it does give them that sense of home and um, a lot of sort of intangible feelings and stuff like that. It can be, an okay investment for people. I think it's a poor investment, but for some people who aren't interested in educating themselves in other financial markets or other investment platforms or way of doing things, to have to make a repayment each month, it's like a form of forced savings with that hopefully keeps up with inflation. So it's not all bad, but and I won't hang shit on that, but I think there's plenty of better options. I, th- I see, the way I see it, from speaking to you at length and other people at length and from seeing this from a whole different lot of angles plus owning one myself, your home can't be classed as an investment. It's literally like it's it's a safe haven for you and it's this and the other, but it's, it's, it's never an investment because it's your home. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not, it, obviously, your home is an investment from the point of view is it gives you a sanctuary. Mm. But in terms, of, in terms of a cash flow and asset, in terms of that, that type of investment, your home can never be that. Yeah, and I mean, Robert Kiyosaki said it 15, 20 years ago that your home isn't an asset and he still says it and people, you know, you get accountants trying to fight him in the comment section because, you know, maybe the definition of an asset does include a principal place of residence, but it doesn't put money in your pocket each week. It, you know, marginally helps improve your wealth and, you know, if you haven't sold the house, then it doesn't improve your wealth at all because if you bought a house for a million and now it's worth three, but you know, you're still raising your family and you're still living in it. If you're not releasing that equity and, and not putting that on the line to invest elsewhere, then it's not a great deal of an asset, is it? Yeah, no, no. I, I yeah, it's it's been it's it's been a difficult it's been a difficult battle even for me to kind of get my head around to, to you know, over the years to understand like, well, yeah, I own a home and it's worth this much, but here's the thing, right? You bought the home for X, when you come to sell the home for Y, because you want to upsize this, that, and the other, I didn't realize this, but if you sell your home before seven, before if it sets, before seven years, you're literally putting yourself backwards on the mortgage. In terms of like um, breaking down the int- the interest, mm. it, it, because of because you, we were talking about this before. When you move home. Like the average person moves home, I think, three times in the mortgage window. Mm. So they might have a 25-year mortgage, but they might have to re-move and, re- and the average person moves home every seven years. Seven, eight years, yeah. Well, every time you move home every seven or eight years and you increase your mortgage, you reset, effectively, 
your interest. So by the seven years, you're starting to get into paying down principal. Mm. Right, if you're principal and interest. By seven years, you're getting, getting to that point, right? But when you move again and you up the, the loan that you're taking on to buy this house, you push that, you push that back. Yeah. So you go back to paying interest again is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think the, the best way to directly compare to potential investments is to analyze them side by side. Um, in an interest-only fashion because paying down the principal, some person might want to pay more off the principal, the other person might want to pay less. And I think from a purely investment point of view and financial performance, you're better off paying the interest only because you know, you're know you remaining more leveraged and with more leverage, you can do more and buy more and invest more. So um, you know, I've compared the average uh, industrial property and the average residential property time and time again at all different timestamps throughout the last sort of seven or eight years with different uh, yielding environments, different rental environments, different interest rate environments going down, going up, you know, rents going down, going up and compared them side by side, thrown in the capital growth over the same period and industrial has outperformed residential in every facet over the last When you say you know, outperformed, what percentage are we talking? Well, I mean, the... The big caveat to that is like what was the the particular period, but I like to look at investments in in really two distinct ways, and then sort of make a blend of that and and see how that fits for the particular person. Because we do need to consider, I guess, the investor's preference and their circumstances and their goals and all that sort of stuff. But purely numbers to numbers, and if we use say a million dollar property, you know, the million the median house price in Melbourne now is a million dollars, and um, to help me fudge some um, maths quickly in this podcast. Let's use a round figure of a million bucks. If you take a million dollar townhouse in, um, you know, suburban Melbourne and you're going to need a 20% deposit. You might get away with a 10 if you take LMI and stuff like that, but I think that's pushing us further in the wrong direction. So let's just say for now you're putting down a 20% deposit. You've got an $800,000 loan. Today, you know, you're looking at maybe four and a half percent interest on an eight hundred thousand dollar loan you might get it for 4.3 you might get it for 4.7 but again trying to keep the math simple let's go four and a half percent four and a half percent interest on an eight hundred thousand dollar loan is nobody get a calculator out 36k a year 3k a month the home is going to cost you 3k a month in interest to, to own that property if you lease out that property and um, if you do a quick Google search of average rental yields in residential property in Melbourne, it'll come up at 2 to 4%. So let's just take the middle of that and call it 3%. So on the million-dollar house, you're getting 30 k a year in rent. So you're getting two and a half grand a month. So every month, you've got $2,500 coming in in rent from your tenant and you've got $3,000 a month going out in interest. So you're going backwards $500 a month. And then throw in on top of that, as a residential landlord, you're required to pay for the outgoing. So super conservatively, let's say a million-dollar-a-year house costs you $6,000 a year in outgoings. It's more than that, but again, for trying to keep the round numbers, 500 bucks a month in rates and um, you know, and outgoings and add maintenance in on top of that. But So you're going backwards at $1,000 a month. You know, It's $12,000 a year. It's costing you to own that property with it fully leased with a tenant paying market rent, you know, and that's not taking in, you know, account of vacancies, downtime, you know, big unexpected maintenance costs and stuff like that. So you've got that property that's costing you $12,000 a year, uh, you know, to hold and um, a good account will tell you, oh, it's negatively geared. It's going to save you on tax, um, which is, 
you know, really just a whole other problem with our um, financial Fraud. advisory. So, yeah, exactly. I didn't want to say it, but you've said it. So, <laughs> you've got a townhouse in Melbourne costing you $12,000 a year to hold. If you compare that to a um, million-dollar, let's say, industrial property, a nice office warehouse, um, let's say you've got the same loan. You know, you can get an 80% LVR in industrial, no worries at the moment. There's, you know... Three of the five big four banks are, uh, sorry, three of the four big four banks are doing it right now. So you get the same loan at the same rate of four and a half percent. It's costing you $36,000 a year in interest, $3,000 a month, same as the residential. But then when you look at the rent of the industrial property, if you Google average industrial rent in Melbourne right now, you'll get four to six percent. So again, we'll take the middle, five percent. Five percent on a million dollars a year is 50 grand a week. Oh, sorry, 50 grand a year. So you've got a residential property, uh, sorry, a residential property that's costing you twelve grand a year to hold, and you've got a commercial property that is putting twelve hundred dollars a month, or say fifteen k a year, fourteen k a year, back in your pocket. One's taking money out of your pocket, one's taking money in your pocket. Then with a the commercial property, as a commercial landlord, all the outgoings are paid by the tenant, so you don't have to worry about any expenses beyond that. So one's putting twelve k. Uh, taking 12k out of your pocket a year, the other one's putting 14k in your pocket. Um, like when you look at them side by side, it's like it's not even the same deal. It's not even the same deal. And then traditionally, what people would say is, if they were sort of you know rooting for industrial property, they'd say, oh, the capital growth is better in uh, in residential. Um, and if you look at the statistics or you know the charts over the last 10 years, it's just not true. Um, I think there's a big problem with speculating property markets, you know, if you're buying a property that's costing you $12,000 a year in hopes to flip it in four years time and make a capital gain, it's just, one, it's very speculative and, you know, it brings a whole level of uncertainty and risk. But two, it's super inefficient because when you sell the property, you have to pay an agent to sell it and then you have to pay tax on any profits you've made and then you have to replace that investment. So you have to pay stamp duty again going in. So this whole rinse and repeat to... Um, sort of realize any profits from the whole investment cost you so much and it's super inefficient. Whereas with a commercial property, the value continues to climb alongside the residential. The rents continue to climb in line with the value increase. So the return continues to climb. So, you know, essentially your money stays in the asset. You don't have to pull it out. You don't have to have time out of the market. You don't have to pay agents to sell. You don't have to pay stamp duty going back in. And it's just a much more efficient. And when you net it all out, it's just incredibly uh, over and above performing compared to residential. Well, if you if you go on the example you've just given, that um, commercial slash industrial that's, that's paying you, putting 12 to 14 grand in your pocket a year, you can you can use that if you wanted to to offset some of your rental as well to rent your to rent the place that you're going to rent yeah and i mean that's a further advantage of um commercial property you know i i tried not to speak too fast and do um horrible maths out loud in front of everybody but i did so when you compare them side by side one's taking 12 grand out of your pocket one's putting 14 grand in your pocket you know then there's a whole having to sell one to release um you know the profits and all the inefficiencies but having a negatively geared property Every property you add to your portfolio is pushing you further and further backwards. backwards. Whereas with commercial, 
you know, you've got this property that's putting $14,000 a year in your pocket after all expenses and interest and stuff like that. Every time you take on another property, you're further positively cash flowed. When you go back to the bank and you've got three negatively geared residential properties, they're going to say, Frankie, unless you're earning half a million dollars a year on your tax return, we're not loaning you any more money because you're already servicing all these loans and they're taking money, enough money out of your pocket. Whereas as you continue to build a commercial portfolio and you go back to the bank, the commercial properties are servicing themselves. So the banks look at the property and say, well, this property, you know, he doesn't have to add money to that to service or a payment. So it doesn't have such an impact on your serviceability in terms of a bank's point of view. And that helps you be further leveraged and continue to build a portfolio. And also, I suppose, as you get some more equity in the back of this commercial property and as the property price increases in the commercial space, I suppose you can just re, re- loan against it. And, and use some of that plus your profit to go and buy another one. And absolutely. Go, and go roll in. Yeah, absolutely. So you can re-leverage and then you go again and you buy further properties. And when you're hovering around that 80% LVR, which I think, you know, you can sometimes go higher than 80% in residential, which is a plus for uh, being able to make your money go further. But you don't want to go too far. Because, you know, you always want to be in a position when the market pulls back. You don't have the bank knocking on your door saying, hey, the market's pulled back. 15%, we loaned you 90%, you know, you've got to top up your loan, which hasn't happened in, in Australia for quite some time, but it's just something that I wouldn't want in the back of my mind. I would never want to owe more money on a property than what it's worth. So I think 80% is a comfortable um, leverage to be at and you can comfortably achieve that um, with plenty of the, the major banks and commercial property at the moment. With, in Australia at the moment, I've read that a lot of people are on like interest-only mortgages mm-hmm. and are in residential and I've also read study that said that not only are they on interest only that that is fixed that the fixed rates are a lot of the fixed rates are ended in 2023 yeah what does that do to the australian market you know i'm probably one of the only people in the moment in this industry at the moment that aren't calling the recession coming the financial collapse the um downward trending property market in you know 2023 2024 i think that the market in particularly in the residential space is definitely trending downward at the moment but only very very slightly and i don't think that these interest rates are going to have the impact um on the property market that you know the gurus are um saying they are so um i could very well be wrong but i think for many reasons which i'm sure we're about to delve into that the residential market is going to remain reasonably steady for the next 12 months and then we're going to see you know an upward trend like we haven't seen for four or five years Really? What what makes you go that route? Well, you know, when you look at, say, the interest rates that you mentioned, you know, there's rates that are fixed at 2.5%. Some are fixed as low as 1.99%. They have been for two or three years, and they're, in 2023, they're going to come out, and they're going to be, they might be at 5% there. You know, on the average mortgage, you're talking maybe six, $800 a month increase in the interest component of their repayment. In that same period, you know, that three-year window or three or four-year window of, of um, the last, call it 2019 to 2023 that we're talking about, the wages growth in Australia has been astronomical. You know, we haven't seen wages growth like this in, in years. So, you know, that household that is now paying an extra $800 a month, let's just call it $1,000 a month on their um, home loan repayments, their household income might have come up five, six, seven thousand dollars in that same period of time, you know. Um, and I know you have to consider tax and 
inflation and cost of household goods and stuff like that. But I think there's plenty of surplus in there from um, wages increase to, to cover the mortgage repayment increase. So where, where, have the, where have you seen that study on the wages increase? I didn't know that wages wages had gone up at all in, in Australia. Yeah, I mean, um, the unemployment is probably like the biggest indicator of how that's going. Like, and, you know, as recently hiring for myself, if you, if you look at any major um, corporation in Australia, and I'm not, yeah. oh, that wasn't a segue for me into that. I'm by no means a major corporation. But if you look at any of the major corporations in Australia, they are all begging for employees. They're all paying far above award wages. They're all, you know, they're fighting over um, employees. And I'm, I'd recently been trying to um, hire for finance position in my business. And the, the, the review of what is now the standard payment for this finance position compared to what it was three years ago is just astronomically different. The same in the construction industry. And, and I can only talk about the details of the industry in the end because that's what I'm seeing. But, you know, what was once a $120,000 position in 2019 is now a $200,000 position. And wage growth to that level isn't, you know, concurrent across all industries in Australia. But in, in my industry, it's been astronomical. In every industry, it's been huge. I, I'm not exactly sure of what the statistics are reporting, but I mean, you only have to open up the Herald Sun and look at the fifty thousand um, fifty thousand job ads that you know are in the back of the Herald Sun each week. And every trucking company is paying incredible rates for trucks, and every fast food company is paying you know fourteen year olds you know fourteen to nine months, and they're getting crazy money now because we just haven't got enough employment or workforce in Australia at the moment. Yeah, I think the. Um there's two things to that. I think that I think one. I think the the lack of immigration for three years mm. really, really is really starting to catch up with Australia, and we've seen that with the farms and stuff, and the people trying to. They've not got enough people to pick the fruit and stuff, which has put the prices up in the in the stores. But I think when it comes to wages growth, part of that is to do with the fact that they've printed all this money, mm. and mo- the value of money's gone down. So they need to they need to pay people more of this worthless money because it's it's. It, they can't buy as much with it. Like, I could probably buy less for two hundred grand right this second as I could for one hundred and twenty grand potentially twelve, sixteen months ago in terms of value because they've printed so much of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, inflation is definitely something to consider in that because our goods and our cost of living has has drastically increased. But something that hasn't been talked about, and it's a little bit of a tangent, but it's definitely related, is the cost saving of working from home. You know, a large portion of the Australian workforce was and still is working from home. You know, take out the government sector, but even in <coughs> the private sector now, um, a lot of people, flexible work hours and working from home has just become the norm. There's a huge cost saving for employees from work for working from home you know they're not getting up early and buying a coffee from the train station catching the train or driving in fuel registration maintenance on their car parking going out for lunch during the day that these people that are working from home are saving you know they might be saving two hundred dollars a week if they're they're full-time from home compared to full-time um, with a commute nobody's considered that saving and what that does for discretionary spending over a month or a year and what that does for you know almost like a net profit from your personal uh employment performance you know if it's if you're earning 100k a year and um it's costing you 
20k a year to commute commute and pay you know rego and um, uniforms and all that sort of stuff you're working from home and you remove a large portion of that your net wage has in effect you know increased in a way and we haven't considered that either i think the, the reason why australia's positioned so nicely um even though they have got a vast amount of debt compared to what they had years ago i think that it's it's because the mining sector holds up the country like in terms of like people want the raw materials it's got got good agricultural and farming and also the fact of like people want to move here at scale and they haven't got enough houses and enough stock mm. and enough factories potentially for all the businesses and the brands and everything else to want to move here so is there am i right in thinking there's probably on is it in in the commercial space is there a lack of of commercial and industrial property coming to market that's of the right spec for the brands? The commercial and industrial vacancy rates in Australia are the lowest in the world right now. You know, we have the most highly sought after industrial property in the world within Australia right now. Melbourne and Sydney leading Australia, but Australia as an average is leading the world in terms of um, vacancy. So we have a 1% vacancy rate in industrial property across Australia, which is incredibly low. Um, they just and, aren't enough industrial and Just spaces. break down so that they're fully aware. What what are you classing as industrial property? So warehousing makes up a large proportion of that, and that can be large format warehousing in terms of logistics, which is hugely driven by e-commerce now. Um, data centers are making up a large portion of that uh, large format warehousing as well. You know, data takes up a lot of room and um, all these... I'm going to say computers, but whatever they are, they're in the data center are taking up a lot of um, industrial space and then right down through to smaller industrial spaces like we specialize in where we have e-commerce businesses, artists and artisans and that sort of thing that are operating small businesses that they don't need the retail presence anymore um, because of digital marketing and you know the way that they're attracting their customers now isn't that physical presence of driving down a main street or through a mall yeah, or something yeah, like that yeah, yeah. and that is just feeding the need for industrial property and you know i think we're right in the middle of a long-term trend yeah no i i think i think you're right i mean it helps as well it's like when i go back to england and i look at industrial property the in australia in terms of the way that australia is designing industrial property from brand spanking new stuff is is just it is pretty out there leading the way like especially what you're doing because i don't see a lot of that type of those type of industrial states in england at the minute i see a, i see a few locally when i go back but but a lot of the england in english industrial is is like you know conversions and stuff mm-hmm. that converted or there's these massive warehouses built on different pieces of land and stuff but it it does it i do think that having those when you when you walk into your commercial property right and and walk in there and you've got that mezzanine floor like with the office upstairs you've got that place for for, you know whether you want to have your art studio down there or your car or whatever you want to do down there whether you want to have a little workshop etc etc that's that that is the way people people are going because people even live in them now Mm. Not, not yours specifically, but people even live in, in industrial. Yeah, and I mean, we're seeing more and more councils um, become accustomed with and welcoming of um, caretakers' permits, which is essentially the documentation you need to be able to live in um, the commercial residence. So yeah. it's definitely heading in that direction. And I think as we move more and more away from 
large multinational corporations with tens of thousands of employees to, you know, very small sole trader type businesses that might have one or two employees, if they have any, they require more and more of these spaces and, and they don't need to be in a retail um, presence anymore. So that's where we're coming into it. Yeah, no, I, no, I agree with you, mate. I agree, and I and I want to have a little bit of a pivot from this property stuff. Yeah, let's do it because because I don't want to. I don't want. I think we've gone as deep as I want to go on 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 that in terms of what I wanted them to get. I just wanted to really dive into that, mate. To to further go on from your original podcast because I just wanted to break that down, which I think you've think you've really covered for us there. But I wanted to one of the things that I've noticed since knowing you that's really like stuck out to me as a friend of yours is I don't know if you remember but me and you were we were having a conversation back at your house quite quite a while ago and there were a few limiting beliefs in your mind I feel at that time about you'd achieved a lot as an entrepreneur in terms of what you'd built and everything else and the, the numbers you'd built and the, com- and the properties you're building but there was there was a few limiting beliefs in terms of what you could could potentially purchase or what numbers you could potentially hit and then obviously we've spoken a lot in that last probably 12 months or whatever i've seen a change in you to be able to push and smash through that Mm. so you've you've done something different this last 12 months to allow yourself to allow that those limited those limited beliefs that i saw at that time to disappear so i really wanted to ask you on here what you are doing and what you have done to 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 lose to lose those limiting beliefs and to get to to take yourself through that glass ceiling that I've seen you go through. Yeah, and I mean those limiting beliefs they can be so powerful and in in the wrong kind of way. And I I remember exactly what you were talking about, you know. And um, I think it might have been even earlier than when we started hanging out and chatting a little bit more. I remember that I think it was a voice note you sent me. And we were talking about, you know, doing big things in the industry and, and chasing big goals. And you said, you know, when, when you've got a half a billion dollar property portfolio and it just rolled off your tongue and I was like, has he confused me for someone else? Like, has, has Frankie mistaken me for somebody else he's been chatting to or whatever? I just couldn't. I thought there was a genuine misunderstanding in what we were talking about for you to consider me in some sort of future position of managing you know and owning five five hundred million dollars worth of commercial property and i was just like i've I've seen it though i see i see it from when we became friends yeah but i I, I just want you to understand that i've seen it like i've seen i've seen a lot for a lot of people that come on this podcast like you i've seen a lot for where this podcast is going not going to go into that i'm just saying i just want you to know that when I see it. No, I appreciate it. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that limiting belief, um, if I didn't act on that, that, that was just, that was a ceiling for me. That was, that was a ceiling that was never even going to be something that I could consider. But, you know, when I further brought that up with you and you were like, what are you talking about? You know, you half a billion, that's, you know, you can have as much as you want. It just really depends on, on where you want to, where you want to go with this thing. And, that's really resonated with me and I sat with that and I was like, why can Frankie see something that I can't see? And we don't know the details of each other's lives, but it doesn't really matter. You know, we're talking long term. Why can Frankie see me doing something that I couldn't see for myself? And I really just sat with that and I and I really structured uh, a personal growth plan of six months, which I've just reached the end of. And with that come a lot of mindset work 
and about two months into that, um, I was in a meeting and I was putting some things in place and we were having a discussion and we were mapping out, um, you know, seven years of a bit of a plan within our business plan of, of what we were coming to. And at the end of the seven years, it was um, sell property portfolio for a billion dollars. And um, I was like, we wrote it down. It was a it was a meeting with you know external stakeholders and other people that were looking at sourcing money through, and it was just so matter of fact that that was our plan. And you popped into my head, and I was like, "Fuck!" You know, Frankie was talking about this far before I could see it. And why have I just, in the space of a few months, become comfortable with accepting these goals? And I think it was removing fear. You know, I think your ego can really protect you from um, setting you know, let's just call them unrealistic goals or uncomfortable goals. And that was something that I worked, you know, to, to break down. And um, I think it was just the shift of perspective over time. And I had to call you and say like, fuck, I don't know what you've done to me, but, um, you know, you planted a seed and, and now we're building a plan for this thing. So, um, yeah, I appreciate your your open-mindedness and um, and you support like no other, bro. I've got to give you that. No, no, it's, it's mate, touched by you saying that. Touched by you saying it because... Uh, just from the outside, it's always uh, it's always easier to see the value in people. I mean, sometimes, you know, we've had conversations about this and what I'm doing. And, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll question my belief on something. And that's what, that's, that, it's important that all of you guys out there that listen to this, you have to understand that you have to have people question your narrative because a lot of the narratives that you've gone through in life, a lot of the limiting beliefs that Oscar's talking into right now, they've been instilled from your childhood, a lot of these limiting beliefs. They've been instilled from that time that you were skint. You know, mm. that time that you were skint will, will, will scare you away from money. And that and that's ingrained in, ingrained in you at a cellular level until you choose to not have it ingrained in you. Mm. And I was actually... Um, so I've just given up caffeine, right? Well done. And I'm seven. I'm seven days into this. Um, well, not giving up caffeine. I, I tell a lie. I've had a couple of couple of diet cokes, but basically, I was having a thousand milligrams a day. And you, I'm talking about this because you, I want. We're going to go into your journey mm. on this, on the back of this. But I, I, um, I went from thousand milligrams a day to like sixty milligrams a day. So I'm nearly clean, right? I go, I'm going. I'm going. I'm going through this. Going through this. And an entrepreneur reached out to me today. Oscar, he goes. I coach other top entrepreneurs. He says, if you, if you're struggling with, with why you, you do it, why you're doing this and, and struggling to break this and struggling and struggling with the, you know, your mind won't be as sharp at day seven, but it'll get sharper and sharper, but your adrenals are recovering. He says, if you're struggling, just get on a piece of paper and write down a hundred times why, why you're doing, why you're giving up caffeine and, and what it's taking away from you and what it's stopping you doing. And that psychologically breaks that circuit in your brain. Mm. And I'm, I'm even going to do that later. Yeah. But the reason I'm talking about this is because one, gives you a tool for you guys to use to, to break any bad habits that you need to break and break any limiting patterns. But two is because you've been off caffeine now for six months, right? Mm. What is the effect, like, why did you come off caffeine and what is the effects that you've seen from coming off caffeine? Yes, I think the reason that I shifted away from caffeine was because I went on a deep dive into 
improving my health and my general well-being. I wasn't unhealthy. I didn't get sick. It wasn't one of those things where something shook me up and I was like, fuck, I better do something about it. I was just in a position. I was like, I think I'm at the highest point in, you know, the call it the five key pillars of my life. You know, my relationships were amazing. I was making incredible money, incredible friendship circle. I was very healthy and my mindset was strong. And I was like, shit, you know, I'm here with everything that I've got right now. Why don't I see if I can take it to here? Why, why wait for something to slip and then focus on that? I just want to see if I can raise everything with this six-month structure of, you know, going pretty hard. And my health was, um, was part of that. And I had my bloods done by a couple of different specialists and um, something that come up was that my body was showing early signs of adrenal fatigue and um, it wasn't appearing anywhere in any symptoms yet or anything like that, but my blood work just showed early signs of adrenal fatigue and apparently, you know, 10, 12 years of sleeping for four or five hours a night and running at a million miles an hour and setting crazy goals and living at the edge of my comfort zone had sort of started to take its toll a little bit on me. Um, I hadn't logically caught up with that and it wasn't showing rearing its head as much, but my blood was, was showing signs. So a big part of um, sort of reversing that and stopping it going from going any further was looking after my adrenals. And um, one way that you can do that is remove anything that's going to stimulate you. And um, for me to remove lifestyle factors that are that are going to stimulate me was just wasn't a consideration. I'm 30 years old. There's no way I'm not hanging out with the boys and having a bit of banter. There's no way I'm not taking on unrealistic property deals and trying to close them or these sort of things. So I'm like, well, I don't want to do that shit. What can I do? And then caffeine, you know, caffeine is as stimulating on your body as any of these other major factors. And the benefits of caffeine, I was like, they don't compare to what I'm getting from these interactions like this or the high stakes meetings or, you know, these sort of um, risk taking activities that that we divulge in or um, undertake. So it was caffeine. I was like, I'll give it up. So I stopped um, then and there. And the results for me, it probably took 60 days to be like what I think is my new benchmark of, I guess, well-being and um, comfort in in like my general life. So the first 30 days or, or I, I didn't get withdrawals, which was super interesting. Didn't get any withdrawals. I was maybe a little bit less energetic and maybe a little bit more tired. But I think at the same time, I had increased my sleeping hours from, you know, sort of four to six to seven and a half. So four. You're getting four. Yeah, infrequently, but it was always that sort of four to six. Um, and I bumped that up to seven and a half. So I think that was like a real balance to removing the caffeine for that immediate, um, you know, seven day withdrawal period. But coming off the back of that and now, you know, having been, you know, clean from caffeine for um, nearly six months, I'll just never go back to relying on caffeine like I was now, I'll drink caffeine and um, I haven't, but I, I will drink it and I'll use it for, you know, occasions where I want to, I guess, enjoy the upliftment of, um, you know, that, I guess, boost of, of caffeine, but I'll use it very carefully and, and I'll never rely on it like I did before. So, I mean, some of the, some of my experience has been, I think the easiest way to describe it is, you know, those mornings or, or let's call it an afternoon when you've just had the best day, you know, you've just, the sun's shining, you walk outside, you know, it's nice temperature, you feel the sun on your skin, things go well throughout the day and you just remain in like 
a nice upbeat mood for the day and you're just like, fuck, I've had a good day. That's how I feel every day. I don't think it's any miraculous feeling that I haven't felt before. It's like, oh, I haven't quit caffeine and now I've got more energy than I've ever had and I'm super fast and super functional and all this sort of productive shit. It's not like that. But I'm operating at my best every single day and I don't want to risk going back to that feeling of it's quarter past three and I want to get a couple of more hours work done and I'm starting to crash and I'll, I better get a coffee. I just don't want to be in that position where I feel like that anymore. I want to be in that level elevated state, you know, for the whatever it is, 16 hours a day that I'm awake. And it's just, I suppose, it's taking back that control as well. Absolutely. And I mean, everybody knows what too much caffeine does to us. You know, if somebody, you know, you, you'll hear the often story, somebody has a, a pre-workout in the morning and they grab a coffee on the way to work and they have a meeting, so they sneak another one and like, it's probably more than I should have had. And then they have an impromptu meeting following that and somebody gets them a coffee, they're like, fuck, I better drink it now. And all of a sudden they're like an anxious, nervous, sweaty wreck because they've had way too much stimulation. I think like that way of experiencing caffeine and having too much just shows you what the little amounts are doing along the way and I think we just need to be more careful with that. Mate, I was I was doing I was doing a pre-workout in the morning and then a couple of monsters and a couple of bangs, mate. Mm. Every day. Yeah. At at this height. Just because and I realized it was because I was chasing the dopamine hits that other people get from like drugs and smoking mm. and all this other stuff that they do. Casual sex, all that stuff where people chase these dopamine hits. It can be Instagram, it can be It can be all these things, yeah, but I was chasing, I was like, because I wasn't enjoying certain parts of my life in terms of like, oh, I thought I don't want to do this bit of business over here, but I have to do that because I want to do that so that I can do this. I was like, oh, I'll get a can of that. I'll get a can of bang and I'll drink that while I'm doing this, and it it'll cheer, me up. It'll, yeah. cheer, it'll cheer me up. It'll, it'll it'll create the energy I need to do this shit that I don't really want to do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that and that's how I think a lot of people use caffeine. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with caffeine if you if you're going for um, it's but it's also about how you consume it. So there's there's two there's two caveats. I don't think there's anything wrong with caffeine. Caffeine sh- can be used and used effectively. But I don't think you should be taking in caffeine in energy drinks. Mm. There's the you can get things like different tablets and stuff that caffeine tablets and stuff that that that, that have a slow release caffeine in it mm. and this that and the other. You can get cleaner energy drinks that kind of don't that don't hit you like that. But those but those bangs they taste bloody beautiful. But, <laughs> but, but they send you off they send you off a they send you off a cliff. Yeah, <laughs> they, yeah. They literally drive you into they drive you into a wall. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? I just, and and um, sleep too, man. Like um, the other thing was sleep. When I studied a little bit on the impacts of caffeine and the half-life of caffeine oh, fuck you, and what it does to your sleep. And for me, something that I really wanted to make as effective as possible was my quality of sleep. Because if I'm not going to put the time aside to get eight hours sleep a night, if I'm going to scrape through with seven, six and a half sometimes, I want it to be the most effective six and a half hours of sleep that I can get. And I want to wake up after six and a half hours sleep and feel like I've slept for 10 and and removing caffeine was a game changer for that. Well, the half-life that you're talking about, so when you, if you drink a monster at at 9 a.m., it by by 9 p.m., it's still in it's still in your system yeah because it, for the first six hours it has the full life 
and then it, and then for the following six hours it has half life, and then for another six hours after that it has a quarter life, doesn't it? It's exactly right. So think about this: at nine a.m. you have a monster, and at nine p.m. twenty-five percent of that monster or the caffeine from that monster is still in your system while you're trying to sleep. This is at nine p.m. at night. So let's think about um, in another way: is you have a caffeine uh, a monster at midday. Mm. At midnight, 25% of that caffeine is still in your system, which is like, oh, it's a bit weird. But if you put it in another perspective, you go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, you wake up at midnight, you get up, you take a leak, and you have 25% of a monster and try and go back to sleep. It's exactly the same amount of caffeine that's in your system from, you know, your midday monster yeah. that you had earlier. When you, when you position it like that, you're like, I'll wake up and have a quarter of a double shot latte in the middle of the night trying, why would I do that? It's going to ruin my sleep, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's exactly the same thing when you have that midday coffee. Yeah, and you go through that period of, of, of being more tired because you're, you're a dream. So, when, so as far as I'm, from the research that I've done, when you take on as much caffeine as I was taking on and as caffeine as you were taking on you grow your body grows extra receptors to grab hold of that extra extra caffeine and when you take the caffeine away because those extra receptors are there but they're not getting fed the caffeine so to speak that's why you feel that lull and tiredness Mm. when you're coming off that because it's just just telling you to go out and have more have more have more have more but it's like you say you, you 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 think you've been in you think you've been in bed for seven hours, but you've probably only had like three hours of quality sleep. You're not getting the REM sleep. You're mm. not getting the recovery sleep. Mm. And I think I don't know which 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 type of sleep it is, but there's one type of sleep which is all to do with releasing your um, the right uh, you know your regeneration. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not a sleep specialist by any means, but. The little bit of research I've done is enough to scare the shit out of me for not getting enough sleep, whether it be through cutting out caffeine or just, you know, not wanting to be in bed for more than five hours a night because I've got other shit, cool shit going on that I want to do. But, you know, the impacts of not getting quality sleep over, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, it's it's devastating on the body. And, you know, they professionals talk about, you know, industry professionals talk about impacts on all sorts of different illnesses from dementia through to different cancers and um, all sorts of nasty stuff from not getting that quality sleep. Well, if you don't get enough sleep, you create dis-ease in your body. Mm. And when you create dis-ease in your body, you're going to create disease. Mm. Like, do you know what I mean? Because by becoming stressed and, di- and, and, at, and not at ease with yourself, you create disease in the body. Simple as that. It, it starts to you cause all the ailments that happen to you by what you consume and how you roll through life Mm. and you can control a lot of that by getting the right amount of sunlight stop drinking so much caffeine this is not to say don't have some Mm. caffeine but it's just to say don't drink as much as perhaps i was Mm. because i tell you now it's not it doesn't doesn't do anything for you yeah just, there's just no there's just there's just there, there is just no positive benefit once you go past 200 milligrams in a day yeah 200 milligrams after that the rest like there's no positive benefit mm. so like if you have that pre-workout in the morning you've hit your 200 milligrams or 300 milligrams that's you out mm. and i wouldn't even have that much now yeah to be honest because i it's like i was saying to you earlier when you came here when you do if you lean into most if you if you just actually do i know a lot of you are going to going to argue about this, but if you just do what you generally want to do in life, or get yourself to a position where you can do just what you want to do, 
you will be lit up from doing what you actually want to do. So you won't need to stimulate yourself with this over here. That's why I said, that's why when, when the, when the geezer did my bloods, like he did yours, mm. he said to me, Frankie, just why are you smashing your adrenals when you've got naturally high energy? Doesn't yeah. make any fucking sense, does it? Yeah. And I mean, take us, for example, in this room, we haven't had caffeine today and, you know, we just want to talk and we want to talk faster and we're just so hyped up about the shit that we're doing yeah. that we don't need a double black espresso anymore to kick us off to be like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, get myself ready and hyped up. It's like, fuck, we sit down and we chat for five minutes and, um, you know, anyone would think that we had um, three shots of coffee before we put the headphones on. Yeah, no, uh, that, that, it's just, it's just, it's just mad when you, when you just having that enjoyment, having that purpose, you just, you just come, you've just come back from doing a few deals and this and the other. I've just had Sushi Manga on the podcast mm. before you. I'm fucking flying, man. Mm. I'm fucking on, on another trajectory. Do you know? And of course, you know how much I've got going on. Yeah. It's just, mate, I'm just on a, yeah. I just love it. I love, I, I love, I love being able to bring these. And you know what it is, right? I've been getting jibed a lot on the YouTube comments at the moment. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna mention this on the podcast because I've been getting jived a lot. Right, Night- you're just inviting no, you know, no 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 no. I'm gonna talk internet about, warriors no. to just come straight at you in the comments. No no, no 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 no. I'm gonna talk about this because I want to talk about it because they they jibe at me in the comments about oh Frankie interrupt him here interrupt him there. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like I'm like bro. I'm in. I I want people to understand. I'm inviting you into my conversations. This is mm. this is not me having Oscar on the podcast, it's me having a conversation yeah, with, with yeah, Oscar, yeah. right? It's not an interview. So, 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 so it's, so we're playing fucking tennis. I'm trying to hit the ball back and he's trying to hit the ball back to me. I just want you guys to understand that. Cause like sometimes I've, sometimes I read like, it'll be like Peter try podcast or something and there'll be, and it'd be like 90% fantastic comments. And then it'd be just one or two or three people. And I'm just like, what? I got value here, but then you, I'm like, but, but you got value, right? Mm. It was free. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, just, just, just a little one in there for you, just to fucking hit you back. Get them back. Yeah, yeah get just, them. Ju- just jab them. Get them, Frank. Nah, mate. Because oh, do you know what it is, right? Because I, I, I started to, I started to read these comments, and I started to get a little bit like, "You coming at me, bro? I'll, I'll drive back." Because, because this is why I had to get off caffeine. Because when I was on caffeine, if this, this was, this was like a pivot. I'm glad they commented on the video. Because I, there was one person commenting on the video, and it was such a stupid comment. I thought, I'm going to fucking find you and smash your face in. <laughs> you and all Liam Neeson, uh, I will find I, you. <laughs> I was like, because it's just so stupid. And yeah. I was like, you know what, right, I'm off caffeine, because I don't do this. When I, I'm, now I can laugh about it, and now I'm yeah. at peace. Like, you can write what you like in the comments, it's all good. But I'm at peace now, because I'm just not Don't write caffeine. shit about me, because um, I'm sensitive. <laughs> but do you know what I'm saying? It, because that, that was a classic example of of caffeine and how caffeine affected me mm. it's just like just little you get triggered by the dumbest shit when you're on caffeine yeah and i mean those are the things that you're noticing what about the things beneath your conscious mind that you're not noticing every time you know somebody yells in the street you know and your subconscious because your adrenals are so amped up is like sending different cortisol and shit through your body and, and all these sorts of things that we you know i'm not a professional that I, I don't know a lot about but i understand the the concept of it and and what having elevated adrenals you know 24 hours a day seven days a week can do to you when you're having you know five six seven hundred milligrams of coffee a day every day <laughs> yeah i know yeah. i know mate. have you ever tried uh here's a good one for for a lot of you listening have you ever tried kinesiology 
Do you know what, can you is that, this? Is that tapping? <laughs> nah. Nah, nah, no, 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 energy work and stuff like this i can't really explain it i you'll have to google it but i went to a kinesiologist right and um he touched like <laughs> this gonna sound like i'm talking about the catholic <laughs> church <laughs> <laughs> he touched you yeah. he touched he touched different parts of like my my he said to me he told you you couldn't tell anyone about yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> he said don't do a podcast frankie <laughs> He, he touched different parts of my head and he said have you ever had any head trauma and obviously I sparred a lot in boxing because obviously we both have and um, he said have you ever had any head traumas and I said to him no no I haven't he said oh, have you been hit never, no, no, yeah, yeah I wish look at this fucking stay on my nose <laughs> he, said, he said to me um, he said to me have you ever had any head traumas I'm like no 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 I haven't not, not had any head traumas I, I mean I had one f- concussion like but I just wasn't saying anything because I'm hard, didn't I? Yeah. And anyway, he touched he touched different points of my head, and he goes, and he and I could I could feel like this warm energy going through my head, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? this is, I've not felt this before. And he, and he goes, there's there's trauma here, and he go and he and it just started to become, like pulse, like pain in my head, and then he and he did this little clicky thing on my skull and clicked back on my ears and stuff and clicked these the different and 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 it was like a bag of um, bricks was coming off my back, bro. No word of a lie. Yeah. And um, he did this thing, this gait test, right, where they lay you down on the bed and they lay your feet out straight, right, and they check your gates, right? And I don't know how, I don't know how, whether this is true or not, but let's just say, let's just say I'm talking complete bollocks and it's all just, it's all huru-guru, but it helps, it helped me in the mind. Let's just say that. So it was a, what do they call that? Um, uh, what do they call it? When that happens, when you when you get when you when you take a pill, but there's nothing in the pill, but you yeah, get, yeah, you, yeah. Uh, that, I don't know. That, how, that, that, going, that, here's someone in the comments going to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> here's someone in the comments. Yeah. This, is, this is why. But anyway, the, check, check it. He basically said that I was stuck in fight, fight or flight mode, and he said, "I bet you'll be, I bet you'll be sore in the Achilles." And he squeezed my Achilles, bro. My Achilles was fucking painful, and he and he, he did this this stretch on the Achilles and clicked my fucking ankle in certain ways like a Cairo would but in a kinesiology way and mate I've been I've been golden since wow it it just it just it just it just this kinesiology stuff I don't understand it Mm. but I realise these huru guru things I don't need to understand them Mm. as long as I walk in I pay me whatever a hundred dollars whatever I just believe mm. and I walk out and I feel better is what I'm trying to say. Mm. I'm like, well, I'll tell the audience about that then. Give me the I, sugar pill if it makes yeah, me feel better. Give, yeah. give me the sugar pill. Yeah. If, 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 if it's just a problem in my mind and I take this sugary pill over here mm. and it solves the problem in my mind and allows me to go and make more money, more impact, more, more, you know, in the world, then I'm cool with it. Mm. And that was just one of the things like just the reason I say this is because we should all be willing to try these different modalities. Mm. because we don't know what works for us and what doesn't yeah yeah you know i thought breath work was bollocks before i did breath work fucking hell on the first session of breath work with Lena, i was crying like a fucking baby yeah because of all shit. because of all the emotions i've moved mm. down my body what are you doing in your personal life now that's that's like a like equivalent to that i mean i'm doing breath work i'm not doing it to the depth that you've done it um, oh, you started breath work. Yeah? yeah, not guided breath work, but just you know the sort of the Wim Hof equivalent stuff. How are you finding it? 
Yeah, I mean, it's um, for me, it's an alternative to meditation because, like, I just couldn't meditate as often as I should. So I began substituting a session of meditation for a session of breath work. Um, and that really helped me stay more consistent with, you know, regulating my nervous system and um, quieting my mind a little bit. Um, and, and breath work I look forward to. Meditation, I'm always fighting to sit myself down and quiet my mind. And um, I just never want to put the time aside for it. So breath work I'm doing. Yeah. So there's, so there's, there's, there's a thing about that. There's the, there's the breath works active Whereas, whereas your meditation is a passive thing, mm. you, you have to sit with yourself with meditation. Whereas you have to breathe into yourself with breath work. Do you mm. know what I mean? And, sh- and 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 shift through. I personally prefer breath work than I do meditation. But I think there's you kind of have to have both side by side. But I th- but I think you get into meditation through breath. If you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. When, when you've done three or four rounds of hard breathing at the right rate and the right pauses at the top and the holds. When you shift through that, when you're holding that breath at the top or at the bottom, either way, that that is the meditation right mm. there. Because in that breath hold, and when you feel the tingle sensations, yeah. you get, when you're in that breath hold, when you're in that breath hold and you get the tingle sensations, that mm. that that to me is the meditation. I I'll tell you something about this. Right, I went I went to I went to another. A weird event. I've got to tell you. I've got to tell you. You're going to stay away from these yeah. churches. No, no, no. I've got to stay away. But I've got to tell you because uh, I went, no, because it's, it's powerful. I went to the, this um, uh, spinal energy healing. This girl said, come to the spinal energy healing. I'm thinking, fucking hell, this is, I'm huru guru, but this is getting a bit more woo woo now, isn't it? I go there, bro. After I'd made the decision of what we talked about off podcast. So I lay down. And we're doing this breath work lay down. I went to a different dimension. Like it was, we did three or four rounds of this, um, this breath work. And I must have had some, some things I still had to process. And in, and in that, um, in this state that I was in, bro, when I was there and I was laying down and I'm going through all this journey and I'm doing the breathing and I could, I could feel a presence. And obviously, the, the the woman or the, the the women hosting the session they were they were they were taking care of everyone who's breathing through this through this uh, journey breathwork journey with spinal energy healing. She she came around and tapped the diff the different places where energy was trying to shift. So like if you got your if if if, if they could see it because obviously you're breathing like this right yeah breathing like that and then different. Where where the energy gets stuck is where you got a blockage. So there's a blockage in my throat, and this and the other, boom, and it just it just just like then let out and flowed. It was the most profound thing I've ever been through. It 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 it, it just changed. It just shifted something in me. Mm. Just completely shifted something in me. Again, woo woo as yeah. Don't do it every week, but I'm just leaning into more of that stuff. Yeah, and no, I, no, I mean I mean health like health for the last six months has been um, an incredible focus of mine and like I've definitely taken things further than what I thought I would and I've sustained them better than what I thought I would too you know some of the shit that I'm doing is um it's not hugely um alternative or anything like that but just keeping everything in line for six months like that um it's taken some work but I mean I feel great and I look great 
You fucking hell. But you know what I mean, though? It's, it, the re- honestly, what, that's that's just it. All of you that all of you that are still here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like no, because I wanted to I wanted to record my conversation with you because it's important. But it, it's like I forgot you, we were recording for a little while. You, you I always forget we recorded. Then they get hammered in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's so important that as you guys who are listening to this go through your journey, that you don't get told by anyone else what what you should be or feel or do in any respect to health do you know what I mean you understand what I'm saying with this it's like be open to all these modalities the breath work the the mindset work the meditations the habits forming the right habits I was reading Atomic Habits on the flight over here to Melbourne profound book you read Atomic Habits Mm mm-hmm Everybody's got to read Atomic Habits. Mm. I believe I'm, I'm going to tell you all now: read Atomic Habits; it'll change your life. Mm. It'll change your life because it's just that that that, that has to remind you about the one percent. Just takes you back to self. Yeah, anything that you can do that takes you back to yourself and allows you that little bit of healing, just so profound. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's dig into your billion dollar plan. Yeah, let's dig into it. Tell me, tell me what's tell me, tell me how that tell me how you reverse engineered this and why? Well, why? No, hold on, why okay. is it taking you seven years? Um, why is it taking me seven years? Um, well, this is actually separate to my current portfolio. This is, uh, I guess, a separate business model. Um, so it's from zero zero to a billion. Um, in seven years, it is, I guess, just a new pathway for. Um, my business and moving into a space that we haven't been before. Um, can we talk about it? On the next one, we can talk about it. Okay. Okay, yeah. But you can lay out the structure? Absolutely. Got so, it. Um, it's really just about about building a sustainable model of, um, of building property portfolio. And there's a whole heap of um, different specifics and value adds and stuff like that, which we can, we can chat about next, next time we catch up, um, which might even be overseas, but, um, but really, <laughs> I'm, just, just I'm just giving some back here. This, you want to fucking talk about my secrets? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's go. about, it's about building a sustainable business model and like from zero to a billion in seven years. And I love that you say, why is it taking seven years for me? It still seems like that's, you know, a crazy goal that I've set. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll take it, we'll take it one year at a time and, um, we'll push hard and see where we end up in seven years. But what, but how have you, how have you broken it down? I think just logic, like really just focusing hard on logic. And, um, like you said before, you know, people need to be open-minded to, uh, many different avenues for everything, be it health or, you know, financial goals for me. Becoming accustomed with that mindset historically and now it's been about breaking down the logic. If I can structure something in front of me where I can set, they might be ambitious goals, they might be ambitious timelines and targets and that sort of thing. But if I can make it logical, then for whatever reason, I can consciously adopt that and I can believe it. So it started with what would, um, you know, half a billion dollar property portfolio look like. And that was just a a thought that floated around in the back of my mind. I didn't sit down for two days and say, 
Frankie said half a billion. How, what does that look like? It just floated in the background and that just sparked different thoughts and um, different ideologies of looking at things as I was navigating my way through, you know, my everyday business life. And then I just came up with a model that I was like, I think if I do this, um, you know, this could set me on the right path. And part of that was like, you know, here's the first major challenge. How could I get through that? All right. I'll bring these people in and get this and well, that's going to be, you know, a one in a million shot. But if I can get that, what would be the next step? And then I'd have to do this. And it's about just building that out. And, you know, if it's going to be a one, a mil- a one in a million shot, you just know you've got to do it a million times and it's guaranteed. So, yeah, you know, it's just about making it logical. Can we talk about any of the synergies you've got coming up in terms of what you're doing outside of the commercial or not not yet? In what in regards to what space? In, well, in regards, to all the, in regards to all the other avenues that you're going in with di- different partnerships and stuff. Oh, I mean, I don't want to talk... The reason I don't want to talk too much to it is because I haven't done it yet. And I don't despise anybody who does that, but for me... No, I respect that. I, I'm, I'm happy and um, and I've been, you know, held in the comments for this before. I'm happy to talk about my accomplishments and, you know, there's all these memes, you know, you know, let your actions speak, don't talk shit, blah, 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 whatever. But when I'm proud of something, I'm happy to share that and hopefully it inspires somebody. And if somebody takes offense, well... I hope they keep quiet about it, but I'm less uh, happy to voice what I'm going to do and what I'm planning to do. Goals and sharing goals and stuff, sometimes I will do that for inside and because it hypes me up as well, but something that I haven't actually sort of really moved forward with yet, I would prefer to just like, you know, keep that in the sideline and maybe next time we catch up, I'll have more to, to share on that. No, I love it, mate. I love it. And if there's um, one piece of learning, learning that you can drop before you leave that you've learned in the last six months that has dramatically changed your life what would that be raise your standards raise your standards in in anything within your life because you can you know i mentioned before like six months ago um i thought i was at you know the ultimate level i was at the best level you know in these five pillars of life that i mentioned you know i just got engaged I had, you know... Top woman. Yeah, I, I believe so. The best in the world. Um, you know, I had a, you know, $150 million worth of work in front of me within my business. Had, you know, an incredibly close group of friends like nothing you've ever seen before. My health was the best it had ever been. And, you know, my mindset was really, really strong. But something in me just decided to be like, well, what if you raised the standard for me? What if I just raised that standard and that overflowed into everything within my business? You know, something that um, my construction company prides itself in is having such few warranty claims. You know, we'll spend additional money, you know, engineering and designing things so we don't have to worry about going back and doing warranty claims and stuff like that. But, you know, I was like, well, what if we raise that standard? You know, being the best that we know of isn't enough. Let's see if we can raise that standard. And it's, I think with any area of your life, with the people you surround yourselves with, with your diet, with exercise, with enjoyment and joy time and all these different things, like just try and make shit a little bit better because you can always raise your standard. I love that, mate. I love that. I love that you've ended on that. Punches, bro. <laughs> oh, that's, why, um, that's why I do this. That's why I do this. That's why I do this for those for those bits of, of wisdom that just come out like that raise your standards put that in I, a reel I, I, I like <laughs> Isaac um, mate honestly absolutely we're gonna we're gonna be guys we're gonna go off and have some food and do all that razzmatazz but it's been it, I just wanted to just wanted to put this one out there because I just wanted to share a little bit more deeper insights into the commercial versus residential for a lot of you that 
that looked at Oscar's first podcast and just generally record like a conversation with one of my friends that um that me and him have anyway on on a regular basis and I just thought it would add a lot more value to you to hear it which is which is essentially what I'm sharing every week anyway but yeah it's been it's been a good day we've had we've got sushi mango coming or it might have already come out by this point as well that was Oscar Ledlin what a legend himself I appreciate you bro and I appreciate your friendship. Thank Give you, me brother. Shake, yeah. Appreciate you having me this'll, on. This will be, uh, yeah. I'm emotional right now. You know I'm emotional. I was just about to say. <laughs> I was just about to say before you switch this mic off. Um, you know, I really, I really appreciate yeah. the conversation. I, I really appreciate your friendship. And um, aside from that, I'm super excited to to see what you uncover in the next 12 months as you take this journey a little bit further and, yeah, and, and yeah, shake yeah. up the industry. Well, uh, as you said, raise your standards is something that speaks into everything I'm doing right now everything everything in terms of how i'm carrying this podcast forward and everything so uh which you know and i will talk to you guys about in another episode specifically about the topic and it's very exciting and i think a lot of you will get a lot out of that too so much love to all of you i appreciate you keep listening keep hustling break patterns flip perspectives let's go rock and roll guys do me a solid favor drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next do me a solid favor hit that like button hit subscribe and drop a comment below this video